0: Welcome in to another vodcast. Shannon Dreher alongside James Osborne, myself. You may know me as Boy Howdy. This is our Winter Meetings mid December check in pre Christmas list edition of the vodcast. That's a lot. That's a lot
1: to get out. Congratulations. (laughs) Um,
0: We're going to go through a handful of things later on in this episode. You're going to see a sit down interview that Shannon and myself get to have with Mariners prospect Logan Gilbert, a really exciting young prospect that the Mariners have a lot of expectations for. Really interested to hear that conversation. Uh, We'll also go through some Winter Meetings up updates we'll go through some hot trade rumors involving some key mariners and we'll also talk about the actual trade that did go down with omar narvaez earlier last week so with that let's go to the winter meetings they just wrapped up Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the takeaways and things that you got out of the winter meetings
1: wow i mean this was a winter meeting like we have not seen in a long time and it kind of really was getting to the point where Do you even bother going? I mean, nothing is happening at the winter meetings. Everything is either done before, set up before, or it was the last couple of years dragged into after the New Year's. And this year, uh, the hot stove exploded. A lot happened either leading right up into it or during the winter meetings, which is not something that you see very often. You're lucky, you know, in my experience, and I haven't been in, oh, many years, um, but you were lucky if you saw two or three deals made or signings made at the winter meetings, and this year, obviously, was very different, and uh, what we were seeing with the price tags was absolutely, I think, stunning. Really? And uh, well, you have one agent, Scott Boris, who's coming up against a billion dollars of transactions right now, just in the last week. He's like $860 million worth of, of three transactions, which... Um, you know, to me, I'm just trying to kind of digest it and what does this mean for the game right now. You know, there's been a lot of last couple of years, you know, guys aren't getting signed, players aren't getting paid. There's no problem with the superstars. There's no question they're getting paid. And this year, I, these numbers just seem beyond ridiculous to hmm. me. And what does that mean for the game? And I think we're going to have to wait and see until we get to the end. Are there a lot of guys that are still sitting out like there was last year? I'm starting to think there won't be. And... I, you know, the, what I would like to see is I'd like to see not just the superstars, but uh, I think it's kind of the middle players who have kind of been hurt by what we have seen most lately. And that's I've
0: interesting. What would you, what would lend you to think that that middle class, which has been gradually being underserved as time's gone on, mm-hmm. and the numbers for that the contracts in that realm are not going up, mm-hmm. what lends you to believe now that that's sort of going to shift?
1: Oh, I don't know that it's going to serve shift. I think it is underserved, and that's all because of value. All of a sudden, what is distinguishing them from the tier below them is not much hmm. if you break it down the way baseball is now breaking down and able to break down value. So it can be a tough thing. I think also you see things like, uh, and I've said this for a couple of years, but it's not enough to be good at one thing in this game. You need to, uh, you know, if you're an offensive player, you've got to have some defensive Presence or value as well. We look at what Nelson Cruz has gone through the last few years to get signed. I, I don't think you can ask for a better DH, but it's not really valued to the point where the deal that he signed last year, he's actually going to get paid, I believe it's a million dollars less this year than he did last year. Yeah. He didn't get that big contract despite clearly being the best at what he does. So, And I think it's because it is one thing. It's just he just hits. Uh, We already know that uh, the loogies, your left-only guys, are are probably going to be next to extinct with the new rules going into place where every reliever has to face three batters or bump into the end of the inning. But we've already seen that start to happen. That's not something that is new. So uh, I think um, think it all goes down, or a lot of it goes down to just the values and and how they are kind of Managing numbers and putting numbers and it's something that is going to have to be addressed with many many other things But you can't say that money is not being spent right now money is being spent and the last note And what we've seen is obviously a year ago. You had so many teams that were kind of sitting it out rebuilding restructuring some were tanking and my definition of tank is Do your worst to try and get a pick that's not what the Mariners were doing last year They Hmm. were not doing that they were not trying to go after the pick Mm -hmm. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Agree to disagree, but yeah, are they what you're actively saying.
1: trying to lose last year to get a draft? Pick? Yeah, no, they were yeah. not. No. Yeah,
0: no. they designed that never, team to lose games. Never
1: the edict they did. designed
0: that no, team to lose no, games. No, no. Just, <laughs> yeah, no. they spent zero dollars on that bullpen. They did not want to win games. It
1: might appear that <laughs> Scott Services wanted no, to win it games. It might, <laughs> it might, you know, that might be the result, but that is not what they set out. All they right. weren't going to, they were not to lose games, or they weren't going to pay a bullpen to win games that didn't matter. When you can spend those dollars later. It's a different thing. But aside from that point, um, a lot more teams were active this year. All of a sudden, it's the Angels' time. They're going to spend now. They did spend. Uh, The Rangers, I think, were a little bit shocking. I thought they were going to spend. They're moving into a new building.
0: They weren't planning on doing it. They just lost. And now who's left to spend on? Yeah,
1: but, I mean, the way they lost, they made the decision to lose. They weren't going to go the extra years. It wasn't an extra year for Rendon. They had a very definite four or five years that they were going to go for Mm. him. So that, Mm. to me, is a little shocking for a team that was expected to go out and make a splash. That's not how you make a splash. You make a splash by doing what the Yankees did, which I really have to wonder, were they bidding against themselves at the end, is this is mm. where he always wanted to mm. be because you heard that the Angels did not go nine years with him. No other team went those years or those dollars. So why did the Yankees go that far? Well, thank you, Scott Boris. But that's where he wanted to be, and he got paid to be there. And, you know, it's just it's a stunning number. Strasburg, we're not even bringing that up. It's a really great story. Yeah, he's staying with the same organization. But, yeah, he set the bar way up there, which is what helped get Cole paid. And that didn't enable the Nationals to hold on to another player that they would have loved to have kept with them forever. So, I don't know. It's There's an imbalance right now. And, uh, you know, if you're at the top of the food chain right now, you're in great shape.
0: So let's look at the division then and how these moves and the winter meetings so far have shaped what the AOS looks like. You have a new player in Los Angeles. you got no new players in Texas. In fact, one exits with no Marmizar no Mar- leaving. Um, and... You've got the Oakland A's who are doing Oakland A's stuff all the time. Uh, And the Astros lose Garrett Cole. So where are you seeing this division trending in the short term and in the long term with some of these moves that have been made?
1: I think we'll really get into this after the new year. I think this would be a great thing to get out the whiteboard, maybe get out the note cards and Mm -hmm. the tape again and do something like that, you know, and just really kind of take a a look. Um, First things first, it was, I, I think I joked about this for a few weeks because, I mean, I understand everybody wants the Mariners to do well. They want the team to win. They want to go and be able to support a winning team and experience a playoff. I want to too. That'd be fantastic. It's not going to happen overnight. We know what the plan is. Will it work? We don't know. But we know what it is. They're sticking to it. It seems sound. There're no guarantees. We'll see what happens. Um but I, I kind of joked a little bit and I'm like they're not spending this off season. That's been established. They're not really trading this off season. You know, it's been like four months since Jerry DePoto has traded a player.
0: Hmm.
1: He's traded, I'm sorry, one player yeah. in four months.
0: Yeah. That's
1: thats odd. It's pretty small. <laughs> but that's what he said he was going to do. Yeah. And they're to a point where, and I think this should be comforting in some pa- point, where you have to stop at some point. You don't trade everybody. You have to, you know, you are going to continue to build up the minor leagues. but. The initial push is out of the way right now, Hmm. and these are the guys you're going to build around. You're not going to need to build a core class every year and keep trading and trading and trading to Hmm. get that number of players. You will trade here and there. But uh, back to the original point, I was sitting back knowing what the plan was going to be, and I'm like, you know, it's going to be really fun when the Angels sign Garrett Cole and the Rangers sign Anthony Rendon (laughs) and we're sitting here. People are not going to be happy. Kind of halfway happened right there. but. That's where they are right now.
0: Yeah, and I'm with you on that. I I think that the plan is pretty clear that this last year and the one that's coming up, they're not anticipating trying to put themselves in a position where the playoff roster is what they're going for. They want to set themselves up so that when they do deem themselves ready to go for the playoffs... and. I'm growing increasingly optimistic that they can have an outside shot of doing that in 2021, so in two seasons. I'm increasingly optimistic that if the cards fall correctly, they could be a competitive team then. This is how this is supposed to go. It lends to some other questions that we'll talk about in Mitch Hanegar and Marco Gonzalez, both names we've talked about before, mm-hmm. um, and differ a little bit on some of our, our feelings on what should happen with them. But you look at the division and how it is shaping up. The Astros are going through scandal, and they just lost their best pitcher. So how is the future of the Astros looking just on a surface level after the moves that have been made so far?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. And just we have to throw in right now is you don't panic just because you saw these big moves. You, you stay with your plan, and hopefully you are making the moves. And you said in a couple of years, I think they start making the moves next offseason. I think we could see it at the trade deadline this year mm-hmm. if all goes well if, and if there's an opportunity there. The Astros, that was the biggest eye-opener. Um, Yeah, we're still waiting to see what the penalties are going to be. I think we're all assuming that they are going to lose draft picks along the line somewhere. I think they should lose draft picks along the line somewhere. But I I think one of the most stunning things to come out of the winter meetings, and it shouldn't have been, but still when you hear it from elsewhere, was when Ken Rosenthal said, reported, that the Astros are looking into trading Carlos Correa because they are in serious, serious budget trouble with the luxury tax. They are well over the luxury tax right now, and that's still needing a starting pitcher, and that's still needing a starting catcher, <laughs> and still needing to add to that bullpen as well. And uh, I'd been following it. I had not been following it in the right places, and I had not been looking at it close enough. I think that when the uh, Jerry Depoto and, and group came out with a plan and said we are targeting this because at some point the Astros – this is what we're talking about right now is going to happen i don't think we completely believed it and then when they went and they made the moves that they made at the deadline this year in adding sanchez and then adding Granky, i was like pff, they're just going to keep spending that's all there is to it
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're not going to you know they're it's yeah budget caution not to the going wind to be a factor yep. they're just going to they're yeah. gonna they're gonna go yankees mm-hmm. on us right now and I had been watching just uh cots is always a good resource for contracts, and mm-hmm. I'd just been watching kind of the main page of that. what I hadn't been looking too much at were the future contracts and the luxury contract or the luxury tax numbers, which mm-hmm. are different and when Rosenthal pointed to the resource with that and you saw it right in front of you, you're like, "Whoa, hmm. because when you're watching their payroll during the year, you're looking one sixty they add one seventy. You look at what they're lining up for right now. Their luxury tax payroll is around two thirty-eight.
0: Hmm, that's like twenty million dollars, twenty-eight million dollars over the limit.
1: And you know, during the season, there was talk that if they had won the World Series, they would make a push after Garrett Cole. I don't know how they could have done that, hmm. but now everything is falling apart hmm. for them. In Interesting. That, you know, to the point where, and I'll say this: they're not particularly high in Carlos Correa, hmm. so it shouldn't be a surprise that that's the name that they talk about. He's a good player. He's tough to keep out on the field.
0: Mm.
1: And in being tough to keep out on the field is somebody that's not always reliable. Are we going to have him out there? So that being the name doesn't surprise me. Mm. Um, they love George Springer. His arbitration number is going to be around $21 million. The thing I don't get was the Greinke signing. And that's what's – if you had that $35 million to do other things with right now, then you'd be out zinc Greinke as a pitcher. But I'm not convinced that – you know, he's not Garrett
0: Cole. Oh, he's much older, too, and his stuff's not there either. Ed. But he's a very intelligent, very talented, very accomplished pitcher who they believe is probably in the Justin Verlander mold of projectable. We expect him to perform at a relatively stable, similar way throughout the rest of his career. But you're right, he's not Garrett Cole in terms of talent, and he's not going to go in and take over a game like that, like Cole can. No, I don't think it's, it's Justin
1: Verlander either.
0: Right, you know, I mean, who, stuff-wise, who was the Cy sure. Young
1: Award winner. I yeah. would have gone for Garrett Cole myself, yeah. but... Yeah, that that just seemed like that was a little bit overkill. So they right now, on top of everything else, find themselves in, in a bad payroll situation. That's interesting.
0: I don't know that I have the same concerns about payroll and future that you have. But if they do start making these decisions to start trimming back just for the sake of having a more palatable future financially, then absolutely, this does speed up. I would be... I would be surprised if it was the finances that ended up taking the Astros down. I think there's more of a a locker room clubhouse culture along with – the backlash that's going to come their way from the sign-stealing stuff and everything that's gone through with a leadership perspective of that organization, I would imagine that's the thing that ends up taking them down faster than anything. No, uh, I don't you think Clubhouse right.
1: has been a problem with them for a few years. And Not I've yet. And been in that, in that <laughs> Clubhouse for a while. So Not I, yet. <laughs> I have seen it where it hasn't always yeah. been great, and it's actually been pretty good, I'd say, the last... Three years, but yeah, we'll see what happens with the sign stealing yeah. and how that plays into it and if they lose draft picks. I mean, that might be, if they know that they are going to lose those draft picks,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what's to say they don't, okay, launch time to launch the new rebuild well, yeah. target four, four years out at that point.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's move on to the Angels. Uh, mm-hmm. They just recently added Anthony Rendon. Mm-hmm. They now have something around $128 million racked up a year. Uh, for the next two years, between Albert Pujols, Justin Upton, Mike Trout, and Anthony Rendon. Four hitters, one of which is bad, another which is almost bad in Justin Upton. Um, there's, you
1: better hope he is. There's he's a lot. of periods of time when he's been very on right. and has been a very dangerous. But
0: that's a lot right there on a team that was already short pitching, that yeah. has been chronically short pitching for a while how much of a difference, where do you see this thing going? Joe Madden's now the manager, yeah. Mike Sochabal is out. There's a lot of change, yet does the outlook for the Angels look all that much different? Well,
1: I think this is a to-be-determined. Let's not yeah. forget that they've got a good farm system that they are going to draw from. And uh, that's something that some of the other teams that you look around perhaps don't. That doesn't factor in as much, but they're looking at guys that are starting to be ready to come up and contribute right now. Um, I would feel a lot better if those numbers that you just all mentioned weren't two years but were four years. They're finally coming out of the Albert pool hole. So are yeah. getting close. Next year and the year end. after the yeah. final years. And that uh that is uh, critical to them. I they it's funny because I look at Texas and every time I look at Texas I'm like what's their plan?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, For everything they did to build up to what they were, what, five, six, seven years ago, and all of a sudden Daniels was the genius and that was the model that you wanted, now you don't see what it is. Yeah. And I thought it was spend and then they don't go spend and they've got money coming. So I, I, that's kind of, that's a head shaker for me, but you look at the angels right now and I think that you do have to kind of keep a wary eye on them right now. I think they do have some young pitching that can come up. They do have Otani. Let's not forget that right now. And if you can keep him healthy, he's shown that he can be a major factor uh, in that right now. And they said that they are going to spend more to get some pitching. So I think we have to wait and see what happens on that
0: end. Yeah, I'll be curious about the Angels. I have been on the record saying that I think their window, and I don't think this Rendon deal changes it, is the next two years. I think they've got a legitimate shot if Everything breaks perfectly with Joe Madden at the helm and with Shoei Otani healthy and Trout and Rendon, these guys all in their prime. They've got one or two years, but they've got a meddlesome owner. They like to throw money around at things that... I think he uh, finally
1: threw it in a good direction.
0: It's possible. It's <laughs> I mean, possible. It's not but Josh Hamilton. Rendon's... It's not
1: Albert Pujols. So I think he finally...
0: He is in his prime. He's coming off a great season, but he has an injury history. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is an element of that that's always present with Rendon, that he had missed time as a prospect. He's missed time in the majors. It's, it's not a perfect deal. He's not Manny Machado in terms of his health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's an interesting dynamic that you've got three great hitters You've got a pretty subpar-to-me roster outside of your core. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you mentioned, they've got Joe Adele, who's on the fringe, who's a top-10 prospect in baseball in the outfield. Um, They've got a couple other guys, especially in the starting rotation, that look like they could be promising. But I'm just not so sure that they have a full, complete roster. And now, for the next three, five, even six years, if you project out their arbitrations, they have $150 million on the books every year just to base on their arbitration projections, even with the guys they already have. So it's an interesting thing. that I don't know that they have much more flexibility once this season's over... Moving forward, I think this is the roster they have to win with.
1: Which is why they spend now.
0: Yeah, so it's so. really... In- I think this is a risky gamble with an old coach and a brand new style. I think that there is a big recipe for there to be some uh, underperformance in the next two years. But they are definitely making a push for it at a time when the Mariners are not. So that's actually good news for me. I love how you say
1: me. an old coach <laughs> in a time of a new style. Because it was Madden who was the guy forever. Right. And now he's looking more old school than a yeah. lot of the things that we're seeing. Yeah. Which which is something I don't think people completely yeah. realize.
0: They're a strange brew. It's like throwing like 13 of your favorite ingredients in, but having never tested whether or not those things actually work together. Yeah, and you're just gonna put it in the oven and yeah. take it out, and you hope that it turns into a great dish. That's how I view the angels, well, and we'll and be curious. have got
1: some things hanging over them too with their investigations that are going on after the Tyler Skaggs yeah. death as well. And I, I hope they they don't uncover anything else, but. You know, there were some accusations that yeah. there were others. We don't know if they were past or if they were current, but that there were problems in that clubhouse. And uh, that's one thing that Major League Baseball did. It's a
0: small update, actually, today this they, morning, they came out They with. came
1: out with an opioid policy, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's a good one. I, I don't believe they were testing for opioids. They are going to test for them now, and it's not a situation where it's a suspension, but if you do test positive uh, for opioids, uh, they're going to help you. And yeah. as long as you accept that help, you will not be penalized.
0: Right. Yeah, this is a really interesting I think innovative and cool thing that baseball is doing. Just a quick synopsis that Rob Manfred, the MLB commissioner, announced this morning there's a joint drug uh, agreement with the Players Association that now makes marijuana something they still test for um, but you won't be entered into a mandatory recovery and did program not, anymore.
1: they did not test for that at the major league level.
0: Yeah, so we want you, if they if it's they, they the uncover the mar- high levels Marijuana is for the minor leagues. They, that also came announced today. We can get into some more of that mm-hmm. later, but um, they moved it to the same rulings as uh, oh, alcohol, right. uh, the same way that they treat that. So, if you, for some reason, tested for it, there are no longer fines for. Being pot for marijuana. However, they are going to start testing for opioids, including cocaine and synthetic marijuana. Um, and like you said, there are no punishments if you test positive. You get entered into a mandatory treatment program that's agreed between the players' association and the league. And if you choose not to follow that treatment plan, that's when discipline can start. So and I think in it's the a minors, cool policy.
1: marijuana is never or is no longer a substance of abuse. So you cannot get because a lot of kids got suspended for it. Yeah. So that that is no longer and. I'm th- I think this was a pretty fast reaction, and I think it was. it's good to see it's warranted with, with what happened. And uh, I don't think they're going to be public with, oh, well, this person, you know, we've, they shouldn't be. They shouldn't be. They shouldn't be, but um, they're going to get a better handle on it than they did. It looks like they're taking some responsibility for it yeah. right now. You're in our clubhouse. We're going to know what's going on.
0: So let's transition to the Mariners. The Mariners have made one move since we had last done a video, trading Omar Narvaez away <laughs> um, for a prospect mm-hmm. and a draft pick. What can you tell us in your synopsis of how this deal happened and what it looks like?
1: You know, what really jumped out at me when we got, because I think we're all trying to, what can they get from Omar Narvaez? We knew he was going to be traded, and uh, he was going to be traded because of the defense. You know, they acquired him. They had hoped that they could work with him on the defense and get it to a point where it was along the lines of what they wanted to see back there. Uh, They saw some progression with it. They didn't see enough, and in the meantime, they picked up two catchers who showed what they did want to see in Tom Murphy and Austin Nola. And so all of a sudden, they had a pretty nice trade chip, and I think a lot of people looked at, well, he hit this. This move had nothing to do with offense whatsoever. This move had everything to do with defense and everything to do with the young pitchers that are coming up. They want to put those young pitchers in the best hands that they possibly can, and pitch framing matters. And the young pitchers, a lot of them, those who went through double-A had one of the best pitch framers in all of baseball. They're used to this. Joe Odom down at double-A is one of the best hmm. pitch framers by most of the metrics. So um, no surprise that he was moved. The return, I think that kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. It's not enough to do one thing. And catcher, it's not just the Mariners who value catcher defense. Most of baseball does. That is a defense first position just about everywhere. When you think about all of the dollars – and the investment that you make in pitching, you're not going to have just anybody catch them. And uh, so I, I don't know, you know. I think we will wait and see what we see other catchers go for to see if you know was this is out, out of whack as some people think it was. Well, we're going to have to wait and see. But for a catcher without defense, I think it was a tougher sell than what people were expecting. What jumped out at me when we got the press release is it didn't say anything about Adam Hill, the quote.
0: Hmm. Yeah, which is nice for me. I I looked at Adam Hill and I was like, I don't see any way where this is something that merits a player that's probably going to play at least 80 games starting behind the plate for some team and provide above average defense regardless of how bad you think of his defense. I'm sorry. He's, no,
1: he is not. not. above
0: average defense. <laughs> okay. He's going to play above average offense and he's going to play right. 80 games behind the plate. No matter how bad his defense well, is, National that's what he's going to he's deal. going to. Yeah, and no matter what, <laughs> he's going to play behind the plate. So, and his offense is going to merit that for some team. And it's going to be a contending team because there's no reason for a non-contending team to add this guy. So, I thought to me that's an interesting thing to look at Value that guy and see a a prospect to me that is the next Chase Young, (laughs) Chase DeYoung. I mean, it's. He's a guy that doesn't have anything that stands out on his repertoire or his, his, his rap sheet that would say, this guy's going to be a solid major league player moving forward. Uh, he looks more like a depth piece, the guy you bring mm-hmm. up in July when all of a sudden you're out of pitcher and you don't want to burn a roster spot. That's kind of what he looks like to me, which is fine, but that's not what you trade a platoon starting position player for, right? So the draft pick, when that draft pick came in, which is some people say the 70th, 71st pick in the draft When they identified that as the thing they were really going for, that made a lot of sense to me. And especially hearing some of the things I'd heard behind the scenes that the Mariners do feel really confident about the prospects they have right now, uh, regardless of what I may think. They feel like that stable is set. To keep this thing moving instead of having it be a Dustin Ackley, Mike Zanino era thing where you had this one group and nothing and you went all in on this one group and you traded everything right after it and then you were left with nothing – To actually start to identify and say, we do think we're fine. We're set with these prospects. Now we got to figure out how to make sure that the next wave comes through so that we have enough tools to supplement this team and to trade from. So I thought that getting that draft pick, being able to identify a specific player, a younger player who could be a part of the next wave of Mariners that come through, I think it's a valuable thing. I'd like it not to be the 70th pick. I'd like it to be a first-rounder, but Omar Narvaez just wasn't going to get that. That's too much value. I think this is
1: all about the first-rounder. I don't think it's about number 70. I think it's about number 6. It's possible. I think it's the dollars that come with that pick and... DePoto did actually talk a little bit about that, that um, in Depoto speak, it lets them access uh, something different. And, and for those is... who are not
0: real familiar with the minor league draft, there's a certain na- amount of money that you can spend on your entire draft. And every pick has an amount of money that you anticipate it should be worth. And for the Mariners, mm-hmm. say there's a, an 18-year-old pitcher that they like at pick number six. But he thinks he's a top three kind of guy, and he's only going to go for that kind of money. Being able to move some of the money from your later picks into that pick right. and pay him more may entice a greater talented person to actually sign with you. So maybe get a top three talent at the sixth pick because you have that money, right? Which
1: I think is more the value of those uh, supplemental uh, round picks. I think that people are more looking at the dollar figure than they are looking at, well, I get you know an extra player or I get this, you know, kind of this level of prospect. I think it is either, A, to throw it at your number one pick or to spread it out more and get and go over slot for a number of players. Um, I think for the Mariners, in talking with Jerry Depoto, I think he's got his eye on making a splash with that sixth pick. And if that's the case, I think we see another trade for another pick.
0: Hmm.
1: Because, so they have the number six pick, And the slot money that comes with the number six pick, they now have the 70 pick or 71, whatever it turns out to be, and the money that comes with that. That's great. That seems like, okay, so you've got an extra million dollars. Well, the teams in front of them in the draft also have complementary picks or supplemental. I'm, like, really screwing up my competitive (laughs) balance picks and whatnot. Um, (laughs) I'm getting all my sports all mixed up at the same time. They've got group A. They've got picks after the first round, so they've already got extra dollars. So i just kind of trying to put two and two together here. I think Jerry is going to push hard to get another pick for those dollars so that he can outspend that group in Hmm. front of him. Unless the group in front of him, obviously teams that finish worse than the Mariners, they are in different states of rebuild. And I would say all of them, further behind the Mariners in the rebuild process, they might be teams, or at least a couple of them might be teams that want to spread it out more. So we'll see. but There might, might also
0: be, be guys that are looking for more college, closer to the big leagues ready guys because right. their next score of prospects is not yet there yet. Right. So, so there will more people in that category. I kind of
1: have a feeling that he wants, he's going to need more to hmm. do what I think he wants to do. Interesting. Which is pretty nonspecific there. But uh, on that note, some note, uh, news on somebody that they did do that with. Was it three years ago? Sam Carlson.
0: 2017 they went supplemental over slot, first round draft yep, pick. They and
1: used and spent, I think it was a million over slot to get him um known this for a while but it came out of the meetings again yesterday he of course uh had the tommy john surgery right after he was drafted or within the year after he was drafted um it seemed like it was taking forever for him to come back and there were a lot of questions of have this in a couple of different places but if you didn't know they didn't pitch him last year because by the time he was ready there was nowhere really to pitch him
0: was two full seasons essentially he had missed. right
1: i mean they could have pitched him but it wasn't the competition wasn't worth it um just for a handful of innings and the determination was made this guy who was still a teenager he was a high school pick has spent 2 years recovering and rehabbing let's let him have an off season now let him have a regular off season and come into camp next year coming off of a normal off season 100% you know there is no need to push for maybe two weeks, three weeks of work at the end of last year. But uh, he was a player that they did what we were just talking about with, and it'll be interesting to see what he does. We keep talking about the Logan Gilberts, who we're going to hear from later. and the picks, the three picks that they made last year, let's not forget Sam Carlson is in there as well.
0: Yeah, so let's transition to the Rule 5 draft. Not a huge update, but the Mariners did have the sixth pick in the Rule 5 draft, and they did choose a pitcher from the Houston Astros system. Uh, a bullpen piece, it sounds like. What can you tell us about their newest addition?
1: Johan Ramirez, 24, will turn 25 early on in the season next year. Power arm. Uh, big fastball, big stuff guy, I was told, has a power, two power breaking balls, two hard breaking balls. Um, big strikeout numbers, big walk numbers, which I think <laughs> is what you would expect to be available in the Rule 5 draft. Mariners are hopeful, and we've talked. We had Brian DeLunis on earlier. We talked about what they do with their pitchers, how they break it down, how they use the analytics, how they use an entire coaching staff, biomechanics, uh, their entire peak performance department to try and improve players. They're going to try and do that with him. And what was really attractive about him uh, on top of the upside stuff-wise was he was a starter mainly. He did pitch, I think, eight or ten times out of the pen last year. That means that he can give him innings.
0: And throughout his minor league career, actually, he's almost identically split his time between the starting rotation and from the bullpen, from what I can read and gather. And from what I can see, the Mariners don't have a lot of that swing category. They used to be just, just their system was rife with those guys. Right. They had so many guys that constantly were in that swing category, and the Tommy Malones of the world before Tommy Malone became like a full time starter all the time. Tommy um, Malone. So <laughs> you gotta have a Tommy
1: Malone. <laughs> you gotta have That's at other. least you one. Have one, yeah. yeah.
0: and then you find a way Why to not block. have
1: Tommy Malone then you know exactly fine with that right
0: so but getting a guy that actually does have some swing versatility is right. something that they don't really have at their major league level
1: but one of the things that was kind of interesting here is we know that the rotation is more or less set you know that marco gonzalez yusei kikuchi justice sheffield are going to be in there justin dunn we're not quite as sure if he has a really good spring if he and that doesn't mean his numbers that means how he shows mm. does he throw his change up as much as they want him to what does it look like um they take everything out because of atmosphere and spring and everything else they'll evaluate him a little bit differently um if he's ready he'll start with a big club if he's not he'll start and he'll be in the minors for a little while um and then kendall graveman as well but i was kind of wondering this and I got answered yesterday uh, are, are we going to see openers next year mm. and my preference is let's not um uh, there are times when I'm fine with it. If you've got a lineup that is stacked at the top of it and you think you really can get an advantage by Like throwing, the Angels now. Perfect example. <laughs> if you've got a Mike Trout killer in that front in your bullpen, why not wheel him out there at the beginning for some pitchers? But, you know, just to arbitrarily do it, you know, we don't think you can get through this many innings. I like it if it's targeted. I don't want it just you get an opener, you get an opener, you definitely get an opener. <laughs> I, I don't need to, I don't like to see that. But... Um, DePoto was talking about, and he's talked about this a little bit uh, in the picture, they are looking for another reliever, and they're looking for a veteran reliever because they got a lot of young guys down the bullpen. And then the possibility of another starter who is more of a swing guy, a guy that is versatile and that they can use in different ways. I don't think the Rule 5 pick is that guy. I think mm. they're still looking for that. But uh, what he talked about last night wasn't so much using an opener but more piggybacking some of the younger pitchers. Um,
0: Combining them, essentially viewing them as teams, right?
1: Getting them on an innings limit and the way that they control those innings is, Justin, you're a starter. You go out there and start, but you're only pitching four innings today. Mm-hmm. Then you would have a guy that could come in. Yeah. And they've talked about that a lot. We haven't seen it on it's regular It's the same basis. philosophy as
0: an opener, except it's flipped, right? It's saying— No, no,
1: no, no. I well, mean, it's not... really,
0: it's saying you're the starter. You're going right. to go this amount of time. We're going to pair you. We know that this guy's going to come in next. We're just going to plan that this guy's going to get two or three innings.
1: Yeah, but you're doing it for different reasons. The opener y- you are doing because you don't think the guy can get through or you're doing because it benefits the guy to pitch in the shorter stint or the um, reliever fav- is, pitches, is is more favorable than the starter. This would be strictly to we're doing this to control your innings with the intention of you're going to stretch them out. I don't want Justin – she- Justin Sheffield should never need an opener or never need somebody to pitch two or three innings for him down the road. Maybe maybe it helps a little bit right now. Same with Justin Dunn. You know, I think it's more of an ease them into the big leagues type thing and handle them correctly rather than strategic in-game type. This is why we're doing this.
0: All right, so that sort of wraps up the Rule 5, the winner meetings, the division. Now we move on to some of the juicy stuff. Uh, the, the stuff that (laughs) remains, uh, coming up, we'll have our interview with Logan Gilbert, but right now I'm going to get into some of the things that we anticipate may end up happening, or at least conversations that are going to happen all the way up to the start of spring training. And I think that revolves around the pieces that the Mariners still have value in, specifically in Mitch Hannegar. There were rumors that came out of the winter mm-hmm. meetings that uh, teams had been asking. I think I saw somebody quoting Jared Apoto saying that he was the third most asked about Mariner in the meetings that behind, um, the, behind, behind the two catchers, Murphy behind Austin and Nola and, Nola. and yeah. Tom Murphy. Everyone's looking for catching talent and catchers who could potentially hit. So. Um, Mitch Haniger, coming off of his basically a lost season, didn't have great performance, had some flashes, and then missed a ton of time due to his ruptured testicle and a subsequent back injury. Um, and now coming back, he's heading into, what, his first or second year of arbitration?
1: First year.
0: First year of arbitration, so we will have two more years following that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's 28, going on 29 years old what what are you hearing, what do you expect to see out of this Mitch Haniger situation? I'm going to call it a situation mm-hmm. because teams are asking, and the Mariners clearly are not saying compl- absolutely no, but they're holding value. So what do you see is happening right now with Mitch Haniger and the Mariners?
1: Well, what I hope happens with Mitch Haniger and the Mariners, and I think coming into the offseason, we thought that, or I have thought for some time that this is somebody that eventually is going to be traded. And a lot of people around the game think that he is somebody who eventually is going to be traded. Um, partly because of what you have coming up, partly um, because of his age and where he will be at the end of that contract, and partly because, because of that age and where he'll be and, and whatnot, uh, this would be somebody that they would want to sign to an extension. And if he doesn't sign an extension, I think I see them moving him. So uh, I, I think that you know, prime candidate at some point to get moved and. Obviously, after last year, you would think, well, the value's not there. This is a terrible time to move him. That would seem to be conventional mm. wisdom on that. When this rumor came up, I made a couple of phone calls, and I talked to a couple of people with other clubs in division and asked for their evaluation of Mitch Hanager and was basically told that they didn't buy much of what he did last year in the negative.
0: Hmm. So you're saying that he retained his value. He
1: retained his value from the people that I talked to. It doesn't mean a club's not going to go in and say, well, he did this last year, so we're just going to give you this. I don't think Jerry DePoto is going to do that. I think he is going to keep the premium on Mitch Haniger. You don't need to move him. There is no reason to. I'm not worried about, you know, if, if you don't believe he's at his peak value right now, you absolutely shouldn't because he is going to show better in your mind at that point, regardless of how the other side is looking at him. If somebody comes in and blows them away with a deal, yeah, I can pull the trigger on that. But I don't see that happening immediately, but I was really, really interested to hear that he does appear to still have value around the league for what we saw the year before. And specifically, keep an eye on it, but um, if somebody is specifically looking for not just an outfielder but a right-handed outfielder, he will have even more value to them. Sometimes that's a tough thing or a tough market to find, but he would be of particular interest to teams that don't have that flexibility and need to put a righty out there where handedness comes into play.
0: Yeah, I'm happy to hear you say that, uh, based on your conversations, that's great insight. That's really good stuff. I know you and I have talked about this for years now, two years, because I talked about it last year with you as well, (laughs) and I wanted them to move on whenever they got good value for him because Mm -hmm. I just, when I look at the Seattle Mariners as a playoff team, at soonest in 2021, I just don't see how Mitch Haniger is going to be there for the whole run. And if he's not going to be there for the whole run... I say you get something that is going to be there. What's more likely, that Mitch Haniger is on the Mariners World Series team or that one of the guys they trade him for is a part of their playoff run moving forward? And I think the latter is probably more likely. I don't want them to sell low. That's Mm -hmm. never been what I've thought. But to me, if I'm looking at Mitch Haniger's career and what he's shown and proven, even last year he had great stretches of play even though the numbers on the whole weren't weren't high um he misses time with injury that's what he has always struggled with throughout his major league career what can he show in three months of baseball before the trade deadline that's going to take away that fear for you to me that fear is a long term that's going to be proven over years that this injury thing is behind him not the specific injury but this proclivity to get injured so I would say that if you can move on from him and you get something that you feel is close to value, I'd do that deal. I'd make that deal. If you truly believe that your outfield of the future is in the minor leagues Mm -hmm. and it's Kyle Lewis and it's Julio Rodriguez and it's Jared Kelnick and Jake Fraley and all these other guys that they talk about, then Mitch Haniger's not a part of that to me. And I think you need to make that move when you can and I am curious. I do think that they're going to find a way to move on from Mitch Haniger this offseason.
1: Yeah, and if you don't do that, then you almost need to be looking at those other guys to trade for something, because you're not going to bring everything. You're not going to buy everything when it's time. You're going to have to make deals, so you know, maybe Mitch Haniger you get a draft pick for, and that turns into something that turns into something down the road that, you know, and it did not just a draft pick, but it turns into something down the road that brings you something back. Um, Yeah, I'm I hate to see Mitch go. I enjoy Mitch Haniger as a person and as a player, but I think that when you look at this, he seems like kind of the last logical piece that you move, and at that point you're hoping that, okay, this is the group, and you're not seeing as many of the trades. There are a couple of players, you know, obviously D Gordon is somebody that needs to be moved. Um, if you're going to play Shed Long every day, you've got to move D Gordon. And there's
0: not a lot of value there. He's been on a downward trend the last two seasons with the Mariners and he's no longer considered even I don't think the gold glove defender that he had used to be either so I think that's another mitigating factor I, I just don't see how much value he has with a I think a 13 million dollar contract in the time when average to slightly above average position players are just not being valued after the age of 30. I think
1: the defense is still there and I think it's invaluable what he brings when he's out on the field as far as you know you're looking for your quarterback of the infield he's it there are not he is a baseball player out there and he is willing to take that on and lead it and he's absolutely you know savvy back there and he's helped JP Crawford I think he would be great for another team that is starting to rebuild and he can help with those young infielders Um, I don't think he's fallen off much on the defense at all I think with him health and also you know at some point you got to get on base and it's got to not always be by the hit because that wasn't happening for him. But I, I think regardless, and I think we agree, it's going to be a tough sell.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think with that, is there anything left you want to cover? Can we get to this interview with Mel Get to this
1: interview. I'm really excited about this, and this is a first. This will be the first time we've had a 710 Skype interview. That's right. So yeah. How many takes do you think this is going to take? Oh, none. We're we going to nail it on no the first takes. one. No takes. Absolutely. Taylor totally Jacobs unfiltered. Jacobs has got this all set Hashtag up. Hashtag unfiltered. All going at it. Just absolutely <laughs> perfect. So uh, yeah, we've been looking forward to this, and I hope we get to do this a few times throughout the winter. Um, We've got this nice set. We've got uh, all sorts of different ways that we can bring interviews and players to you, and we're going to attempt to do a Skype interview with Logan Gilbert, who uh, I think it is all but certain, if he stays healthy, we're going to see him next year in Seattle. Wow. So we're going to learn a little bit more about Logan Gilbert right now. Okay, we're back with you, and as promised, we have Logan Gilbert with us via Skype. What we do not have is Boy Howdy is not here. Sadly, he called in sick today, so I'm on my own here, but uh, I think we're going to get through this. Logan, great to see you. It's been a couple months. We saw you up in Seattle at the end of the season. Uh, Where do we find you right now?
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm actually back home in Apopka, Florida, uh, living at home.
1: Tell us about Apopka. It's uh, in the Orlando area, from what I understand.
2: Yeah, it's right outside Orlando. Um, It's pretty nice here. I mean, uh, not one of the biggest cities or anything like that, but, you know, just kind of like a small hometown feel to it, and uh, it's really nice. I like it here.
1: Born and raised there?
2: Yep, that's right.
1: All right. What's the best thing when you get to go home? What's the first thing that you have to do when you get home?
2: Um, Gosh, I I like golfing around here, like going to the beach. When I get back to Florida, that's always a, a bonus, nice thing to do.
1: How far from the beach are you?
2: Um, I'm about an hour either way. We're right in central Florida, so I can go to either coast.
1: You got a surfer on the team. Did you used to surf?
2: Oh no, I can't <laughs> say that. I did. Yeah. Uh, I've always wanted to, but I'm not too good at it.
1: Well, you got plenty of time at some point. <laughs> that yeah. that can be on the list. Hey, uh, just a great story. We all know you know that you're selected first by the Mariners in the draft a couple of years ago, and I can't imagine what that is like when you're in your college career and everything is gearing up. And as far as everything that you're doing in college and uh, your playoffs, your college world series, your season. And Oh, by the way, there is a draft right now. How, how, what was that week like for you?
2: Yeah, that's crazy. Um, It's kind of hectic, a lot's going on, but at the same time, you just try to enjoy it because you know, you're deep in a college season with all your best friends and also your, the drafts coming up um, you know, everything I've worked for my whole life um, in terms of baseball. So It's pretty chaotic, a lot going on, but also really rewarding when all of that is happening at the same time.
1: What would you say was the highlight of your college career?
2: Uh, I think there at the end, we made it. uh, We actually won a regional and went to a super regional, uh, first time in Stetson history. So it was kind of nice to, uh, one of the best seasons in such a long history of Stetson baseball.
1: It is a long history and some notable arms there as well. Did they have influence on you?
2: Uh, not too much. I, I haven't gotten to talk to him, but I remember, um, on my recruiting visit was the day DeGrom won the Cy, or Rookie of the Year. So it was a pretty big deal, a lot of buzz going on around there. And that's when, you know, I kind of thought this could be a great place for pitchers to come out of here.
1: <laughs> not bad coming out like DeGrom, I would imagine, or Kluber as well. <laughs> exactly. What, how did you decide on Stetson?
2: Um, it was pretty close here. I knew a couple people that went there and heard great things. Um, the academics were great, which was a big part of where I wanted to go. And then also the baseball, just a nice uh, tradition and some of the arms that came out of there, of course, uh, it made it pretty easy to choose there.
1: What was your major?
2: Uh, business analytics. Oh, yeah. and
1: how does that apply? Does that help with the baseball?
2: Um, Not too much, actually. Um, I decided on it because I watched the movie Moneyball, actually, and I got really interested in that side of it with all the analytics and baseball. So, you know, who knows, maybe after when I'm done playing, I can get into that side of things.
1: What kind of jumped out of you in that movie?
2: Um, I think just uh, all the little things kind of behind the scenes that go into winning a ball game and everybody, you know, of course, the talent's so important, but if you're not using it the right way, um, there's little stats that can really matter a long time in winning games.
1: Have you been to the Oakland Coliseum yet?
2: I have I actually played <laughs> out in California, so I wasn't too far away from it. Um, I got to see the Giants Park, but I didn't go to the Oaklands.
1: Okay, they're a little different.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right
1: here. It's funny. No, that movie jumps out at me, and uh, obviously there's the numbers and the history and everything that had happened in that movie, but the behind the scenes of that movie are exactly, I mean, that is like walking in on a game day at Oakland Coliseum, the hallways, the people that they had in the movie, everything. That is really still it. So that'll be a special treat for you when you get up to the big leagues. <laughs>
2: yeah, I'm hoping so. that's so cool. I'd love to see that one day.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a different experience in baseball. Uh, how do you use analytics on a daily basis?
2: Um, there's, there's a lot that goes into it for pitching. Um, I kind of just got exposed to it this year, and it was a big part of it seeing some of the numbers where – Uh, We look at spin direction, uh, spin rate, uh, release height, release angle, all these different things that go into it. You know, I always thought you pretty much just grip it and throw the ball, but there's so much more that goes into it from releasing the ball and then its actual flight in the air, how it lands across home plate.
1: Can you explain? Because these are things that they're terms that I think baseball fans are getting more familiar with now. And I think even if you watch the World Series, you started to see a little bit more of this. Uh, in some of the broadcast um, they can be tough concepts to grasp onto. And we've actually done some videos talking about this. I know, you know, Brian Delunas, he came in and he explained a lot of this too, but as a pitcher, uh, how do you use that? How do you uh, take a look at it? How do you adjust when you take a look at it? What are the things that are most useful to you?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, just a couple of things that stick out for me. Um, I think every pitcher is different, but it really resonates with me, the spin direction of the ball. So thinking of a clock and where the numbers are, certain pitches will either uh, stay in the air longer or maybe drop off depending on which uh, the spin direction is. So for a fastball, I want to be more towards 12 o'clock where uh, my changeup will be more towards like 2.30 on a clock so it can just fall throughout the air. So different ways like that, just depending on the way the ball is spinning, it makes it move certain ways. How
1: um, obviously you, you get to... the. You have access to some of these things, I would imagine, in college. But how did they impact what you did this year?
2: It was a huge part of it. I mean, from the developing all the way from, I think, to spring training to the end of the season, um, I think I see a huge jump in the way my pitches performed and the way they were coming out of my hand. Uh, Everything was a little sharper and more consistent, where a big part of it was I knew every time I threw it, the pitch was pretty much going to do the same thing instead of kind of guessing where I would need to start it or something like that.
1: Oh, that's Wow, that, that's a big game changer, that knowing yeah. rather than guessing when you go out there. And it's just amazing how much that, I think you summed it up. It's like you think things just happen or you have it or you don't, but there are ways to keep it right. or to improve on it. Pretty, pretty impressive right there. Hey, I understand you were up in Seattle last week for the leadership conference. What did that look like?
2: Yeah, that was awesome. Great experience. I went last year as well, and then went back this year in an even bigger group this year, and uh, we had an amazing speaker. It was a really good time up there.
1: How big a group was it?
2: Uh, We probably had maybe 30 minor leaguers, uh, a handful of big leaguers, a lot of the front office, and Seattle coaching up there. So there were a lot of people.
1: You look around, and you just see people from all different levels and all involved and kind of pulling in the same direction. I would imagine that's that's kind of reassuring, knowing that this is your home. That that is the culture that they have.
2: Exactly. Yeah, you, you see, guys. There were a few guys from the DSL all the way up to uh, Seattle, like Marco and Vogie. Some of those guys were up there, so it's amazing to see that this is really the way Seattle's going. That they're talking. That this is what's happening. But it's also showing up that throughout the organization, we're all getting on the same page. So it's really cool to see.
1: I saw some of the pictures, and you have to admit, Vogie has got the most incredible hair in the big leagues, doesn't he?
2: I think so, yeah.
1: <laughs> and the sweater tied around, the, I mean, the, the style. It looks like he's up the style game a little bit in the offseason.
2: It looks like he's got everything. Got the style, <laughs> got the personality, everything's working.
1: <laughs> Definitely someone fun uh, to have around. Who are some of the people in this organization who have most influenced what you're doing out on the Hill in the short time that you've been with the Mariners?
2: Uh, gosh, there's a lot of people. I think from the player side of it, um, I have a good relation relationship with Cal Raleigh. He's really helped me behind the plate. And then also getting to Arkansas, working with Justin Dunn and Justice Sheffield. Those guys have had, I mean, just in the time I was there, had a huge impact on me and really helped me out, kind of took me under their wing and showed me how it's done, stuff like that.
1: I got to visit that team when they were in uh, Texas. Mariners were had a day off when we were there, and so we went over and double-A. Uh, I think you were pitching that day, so we didn't talk to you. But uh, to see how... Justice and Justin kind of play off of each other a little bit. It was, yeah, they like to take the ball from each other. They mentioned you a little bit. It, it seems like a really good thing kind of going between a younger group of pitchers.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. I showed up there. They were, I could tell right away, they're a really tight, really close knit group. And then coming in as the new guy, you see that and you kind of want to distance yourself a little bit, not just jump into it, but they're really welcoming, wanting me to be a part of it, all that stuff. And, never skipped a beat just joined the group and went rolling from there
1: what did you get out of that time that you got to spend up in seattle the last week of the season
2: oh that was great yeah the last week um evan cal and i were up there just got to sit in on meetings talk to some of the players and uh just learning from you know some of the veteran guys up there that you see on tv it's really humbling experience
1: and who are the some of the veterans that you enjoyed talking with
2: um, I talked to Marco a little bit. They actually had us in a locker next to LeBlanc, who's you know been had a really long career. So it's really cool to see as a minor leaguer after my first season, and I'm sitting next to LeBlanc in the locker and getting to talk to him a little bit, pick his brain. It was really cool.
1: Did he give you any tips on anything?
2: Uh, we're not as much pitching. We were talking a little bit about um, what it's like in a long season and way to pace yourself and how much you throw and stuff like that.
1: That's important. I mean, the season. Uh- Major League season is completely different.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: And along those lines, they shut you down at the end of the season.
2: I know. How did you that's, deal with that? <laughs> that was tough. I, I mean, that's the most important part, going into playoffs. And uh, I really wanted to pitch. You know, I of course, I know what they're thinking and the reasoning and all that stuff. But it's just tough after such a long season to not be able to pitch.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you hit, what, was it 135? Is that where you were at? I think so. That's a good number right there. No question about that. Um, one of the things that you just mentioned a couple minutes ago you said Cal Raleigh has been somebody who's really helped you out how has that relationship developed
2: um started last fall I think at the high performance camp that's when I met him I actually played against him in college a little bit but didn't know him and I mean right away we were just good friends went back and forth kind of messed with each other a little bit but we know that at the end of the day we have each other's backs and um, he's always been, you know, last season one to push me and, uh, call me out whenever it needs to happen, stuff like that. Well, we're really trying to get the best out of each other.
1: Why would he need to call you out?
2: Um, part of it's just him messing with me, um, <laughs> stuff like that. But I think he sees if there's another gear or something like that, that he really wants to get that out of me. So it's been great to have somebody like that yeah, right heard, next to
1: me. I heard there was a lot of back and forth between, and they let you guys handle that. It wasn't a coach that's going to tell you what to do, that you guys all worked out that relationship amongst yourselves.
2: Oh yeah. I mean, even before and after that, we are were, we we're best friends throughout it, really good friends. But, um, I, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we were fighting all the time, but there, there was just maybe one or two times throughout the season where still being good friends, we just called each other out and what needed to be said to help each other out. It was, it was all about trying to help the other person.
1: And can it be? I mean, a catcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game and a pitcher is going to feel a certain responsibility for a game. And you've got to kind of come to a, an agreement on that, I would imagine.
2: Yeah, that's a big part of it. I think biggest part for me was i saw how much he cared that a lot of catchers might just care what their average is or how they're playing or stuff like that but he really wants to take the pitching staff and make it his so that's really cool to see
1: that's fantastic to hear right there uh you mentioned the analytical side and that's something that you are interested in what about i heard uh that you have a creative bent as well i heard you play the ukulele
2: Uh, (laughs) oh gosh i don't know how you heard that one um (laughs) I I tried to learn it. It didn't go too well. Um, I actually got it last Christmas and brought it to spring training thinking I could master it, but uh, it didn't go too well.
1: It, is it around? Is it back there anywhere? Can we hear something?
2: It's actually in my room, but no, <laughs> I don't think I can grab it right now.
1: Well, you bring it to spring training maybe again.
2: I could try to bring it next time. We yeah, need a hopefully second I know somewhere too by then.
1: All right. We need a second chance at this. This we got to see.
2: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: What you mentioned the ukulele, you mentioned the beach, what off the field and your your downtime, your time. What what do you like to do the most?
2: Um, gosh. I I like golfing, hanging out with friends. Um I'm big on movies. I like watching movies and just um, taking it easy and really enjoying the off season when I can.
1: What's your favorite movie?
2: Uh, I'm a big Dark Knight fan. I like the Batman series. Oh, okay. Probably, probably up there, one of my favorites.
1: All right. Do you have any uh, holiday traditions that you're looking forward to?
2: Um, we don't have any big traditions that stick out. Uh, we're actually going to New York City for, for Christmas this year, so hopefully that could become a tradition and get to take a trip every Christmas. That would be pretty cool.
1: Have you been there before? I have, yeah. All right, couple- all right. Have you ever been to a Yankee game?
2: I have. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> I have to say that I have. <laughs>
1: That's okay. <laughs> no, that's the thing. You grew up in Florida and that seems to be one of Florida's teams. If you're there, that's, it seems like right. a lot of, a lot of people from Florida are big Yankee fans. Um, what, what is your favorite part of your baseball day?
2: Oh, good question. Uh, favorite part. Um, I love the throwing and all that. I love just going out there every day and knowing that I can get better in some way. Uh, I think a really big part of it is just the relationships you build. we had, such a close group and all really good pitchers, but good people as well. So I think just going out there with them and getting to work every day is really fun.
1: When uh, you set out to get ready for next season, and I know I'm sure you have goals of where you would like to be. What is your focus when you look at next year?
2: Um, I think just continuing the stuff I did this year is a really big part of it, trying to take some more steps in the right direction. Uh, of course, I would love to, End up in Seattle next year at some point. That's a huge goal of mine, but I know there's a lot of work to be done before that. So just trying to take it one step at a time.
1: What's your self scout right now as a pitcher?
2: Uh, what do you mean by that?
1: If, if you uh, were a scout looking at yourself, what what would you write down?
2: Um, man, I might be a little partial, a little biased That's towards okay. myself. But, <laughs> you know, I, I think I could be a future. Uh, you know, big part of the rotation in, in the future, and uh, eat up a ton of innings, and hopefully be an all-star one day. That's always been a goal of mine. So, um, just trying to do anything I can to make it happen.
1: Is there a pitcher that you kind of looked up to, or a style that you like, or somebody that uh, you look look to take something from?
2: Um, I really like watching Tyler Glass now. Hmm. I don't know how much of similarities are there, but I, I learn a lot from watching him pitch and the way his body moves, so that's that's always been a guy I enjoy to watch.
1: Who have you enjoyed to watch on the other side on your team? If there is there a hitter that you would probably rather not face or somebody that you can really appreciate on the offensive side?
2: Um Yeah, I think uh Kellenick might be a tough at bat. Uh you know, hopefully I won't ever have to face him, but I've seen him go against some really good pitchers and uh, just turn it around, really impressed me. So that might be a guy I want to stay away from.
1: What are you most looking forward to next year?
2: Um, hopefully playing in Seattle. I think that'd be awesome. Um, just going to work with the same coaches I've had really good relationships with. Pitching to Calligan is going to be really fun. So just stuff like that, getting back to work at that stuff.
1: Well, Logan, we are looking forward to seeing you in spring training. Really appreciate you taking the time today.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me on.